0: so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. How are we doing this morning, church? If you could turn me down just a a hair. I'm a little loud. That's how I'm doing. I'm feeling loud this morning. If you have been with us all month, and you know that we are at the end of, uh, uh, we've been working through 1 Peter chapter uh, chapter 4, a chapter that comes at the end of a letter uh, from the Apostle Peter to Christians who are scattered throughout the region on account of uh, uh, persecution that they're already experiencing and persecution that's to come. More specifically, we've been considering what expectations these Christians and Christians today, or that matter, ought to have. Expectations that we ought to have moving forward in our life. Because if we know what to expect, then there's no reason that we should be surprised, right? If Christians know what to expect, then we should be prepared, When we started a month ago, we looked at non-Christians and what non-Christians expect of other people. The world expects all people to follow their passions, expects all people to elevate self. And when Christians choose to not, when Christians choose to elevate God over self, well, that's going to be a surprise to the world. And we know that the things of this world and the passions of the flesh are temporary. So when those things, those feelings, those emotions fade away, we will not be surprised. And then we looked inward at Christian community, what Christians ought to expect about participating and engaging in the church, engaging with a body of believers. And it might sound odd, but one way, in fact, the most important way that we encounter God is through our interaction with other Christians, through engaging in Scripture together, through sharing in Christian virtues together as a body of Christ. So we can't be surprised then if we're disconnected from the church and we feel distant from God. Last week we looked at suffering and trials that exist in this world, and not just for Christians, but for all people, on account of sin that exists in this world. And if we aren't prepared, if we haven't heard the words of Jesus and reacted appropriately, then we will certainly be surprised when there is heartbreak in this world and there is illness and there is pain and there is suffering in this world. We will certainly be surprised if we're not prepared. But if we're in tune with Jesus and what he's doing in the church and what he's doing in us, what he's doing through his word, then we'll be able to endure and persevere any trial. Because if we're Christians— if we know Jesus, then there isn't a real reason that we should be surprised. Sure, we'll still become hurt, and we'll s- still be weary. We will certainly become frustrated about the state of this world, but nothing, nothing that is coming, whether it seems like it's close to our life today, or it is seems like it's so far on, Down on the road of your life, nothing that's coming in this world ought to be a surprise to Christians because we know Jesus. We have an inside track on what's coming the state of this world, but also on the state of our hearts and what we need spiritually. But we aren't just in the know on what's coming in this life. We're also in the know on what's coming in the life to come. Invite you to join me one more time this month in 1 Peter chapter 4 and hear what Scripture says we ought to expect in the days of judgment. Picking back up in verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? I want to read that one more time. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? It is time for judgment to begin, is what Peter says. And it begins with who? It begins with us. We'll come back to that idea of judgment and our role in judgment in just a minute. But I want to speak for just a moment on the idea of time, on it being time for judgment right now. In Acts chapter 1, when Jesus departs from the earth and he ascends back into heaven, a period of time begins that you and I are still in, what the Bible often refers to as the last days. And calling it the last days might sound like a mistake. Like hasn't it, hasn't it been a solid 2,000 years since Jesus ascended. And that may be true, it has been a long time, but if we just look back at history for, for just a second, and we look at the, the Old Testament, and we look at how long-suffering our God is, we look at how much patience God has for the disobedience of his own people. Let's take the Promised Land as an example. Sometime around the year 1400, B.C. give or take about 200 years, Israel enters into the promised land. The end of the arduous work that God was doing to bring God out of Egypt, out of slavery, exacting miracle after miracle so that his people could eventually get to where God initially promised Abraham around 1400 BC when Israel entered the promised land in Canaan. And not long after they entered that place, God's people begin to overlook the law of God, and they begin to follow God's laws half-heartedly. And God endures with that heartless nation for almost 1,000 years, waiting for his people to be obedient, waiting for his people to turn and follow God. And it wasn't until the year... 586 that Babylon completed the invasion of Israel, the final wave of exile, almost 1,000 years of God persevering through his adulterous, idolatrous people Israel. Our God is long-suffering. Our God is patient. And he will endure the heartlessness even from his own people While he waits for his people to turn And what god is doing right now is he's waiting for people To seek his righteousness and seek his justice just like he was in the days of the people in the promised land So even though it's been two thousand years of us Enjoying or maybe not enjoying the last days Don't start to get an idea that jesus is not coming back And don't start to get an idea that maybe god has forgotten what he said he was going to do Because while we're in these so-called last days. He's, he's given us two important tasks, and we talked about these a couple of m- months ago in our s- survey of Acts. One task that he's given us in these last days is we've got to preach the gospel. We've got to proclaim the good news because people need to know Jesus, and if we know Jesus, we have a responsibility to do something with that knowledge. The second thing that we're supposed to do is we're supposed to emulate the kingdom, emulate the kingdom of God until the real kingdom is here. The church isn't just responsible for telling people about Jesus. It's also called to show people who Jesus is, to exist as God's kingdom, to demonstrate a godly community where God's laws and God's virtues are flowing from our midst. And while we're doing those things in these last days, we're waiting for the kingdom, we we are waiting for the not yet, we're waiting for the king to return, and we're waiting for judgment. But just because we're waiting for the n- n- not yet does not mean that we ignore what we have already, what God's already done in our lives. But until then, until judgment, we're actively waiting. So we're waiting for God's judgment, this says. It's time for judgment to begin. God's judgment, or judging other people, is, is a, a term or, or an idea that I, I think has gotten a pretty negative Uh, negative view around it. But God's judgment's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. It's something that we ought to be praying comes. But with judgment comes a very hard truth that we have to recognize. In the next in the next verse in 1 Peter 4 if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? If that doesn't just make us the least bit uncomfortable, then I'd say either we misunderstand sin or we misunderstand judgment. The hard truth is that individual righteousness, trying to be a good person, trying to do the right thing is not enough. It's not enough that people would do good. We've been talking about this in our young adult class. It's not enough that people would try to do good But people need Jesus. People will always need Jesus. We needed Jesus to come. And for people who don't have Jesus, judgment is not something that they're anxiously awaiting. Last week, we talked a little bit about sin and the problem of suffering and how suffering is for everyone, and not just Christians. Suffering is a side effect of living in in this world. But judgment is for everyone too. It's not just for Christians. Because of that real sin problem in the world that we talked about last week, yes, there are physical side effects. There are trials and there are heartbreaks that come from living in this world, and I probably don't need to tell you those. But far greater than any physical or emotional ramifications from sin that we might experience. There is a spiritual divide, a spiritual wound that exists in our souls when there is sin in our lives, and it's far worse than anything we will experience here in this life. Sin really does rupture our soul. It really does bring about a spiritual price that needs to be repaid, but most importantly, sin separates us from God. And people who don't have Jesus, no matter how good-hearted they are, no matter how good-hearted we are, we can't repay that price. The judgment that we're waiting for as Christians, the judgment that we should be praying for, is when God is going to make right that sin problem once and for all. He's going to come and remove the sin problem. He's going to come and account for sin. And that is marvelous peop- That is marvelous news to people who owe Jesus because like we've already said, Jesus has paid our price for sin. Those are sins that we don't have to give account for anymore. When it's time for the judge to account for the problem of sin, those soul cracks, those soul ruptures, those spiritual wounds will not be found in Christians. It doesn't mean that we won't experience pain and suffering in this world, but it does mean that we're saved from the spiritual weight of sin. From the spiritual price. So judgment, even though it has a scary sounding uh connotation to it judgment is where god is going to make things right there's there is going to be no more sorrow and no more tears in these last days while we are waiting for judgment peter tells us what is at stake but he also tells us what we need to be doing to prepare for judgment in fact, he gives us that preparation in a verse that we've read several times over the past month, um, and I want to read it again. We've been bouncing around this single verse in First Peter. Uh, he, here it is again, chap, uh, First Peter chapter four, verse seven. "The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers." Church, this verse right here is everything. It is everything that Peter is trying to impart to these Christians that are on the brink of persecution, and it's everything that Christians today have to remember as the world seems to be shifting around us. The end is here. The end is in front of us, and if we aren't careful, if we aren't prepared, then the things in this world, the trials, the sufferings, and the distractions, the things of this world— Will prevent us from praying. Praying is not the solution for for Peter, as we might often think that it is. We might think that prayer is our secret weapon against the uneasiness of this world. When we have concerns of illness or something else, we want to take those things to God in prayer so that He will take care of those things. He will take care of those things but that's not why we pray. We might think our prayer is our, our private confidant. Uh, God is someone who we can go to to take our emotions to him, almost like a type of prayer journal. And if we give our emotions to God, then he'll give back to us wisdom and peace to move forward. God will provide wisdom and peace, but that's not why we pray. Prayer is not the solution for Peter, prayer is what's at risk in this life. The reason we pray is because we are spiritual beings, spiritual souls that have a longing to commune with our Creator. And when we pray, when we sit before the throne, we are entertaining the idea of a relationship with God that one day forever, we will enjoy in its fullness. When we pray, when we sit before God's throne, we are just a little bit enjoying the type of relationship that we will one day have forever with our Creator. And if we aren't prepared, when the trials of this life come, and when this life is hard, And when suffering abounds, our prayer will suffer. We've got to be prepared for what's coming, or else we'll stop praying. Peter gives a little bit of insight into this practice of spiritual preparation. One more reading from 1 Peter 4 in verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will... And trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. How do we prepare our souls for suffering? How do we prepare for the hurdles and the pitfalls that lay ahead of us in this life? Peter says, by doing good. By doing the things that God would do here on this earth, by living in a manner that the things that we do, the work that we do, the way that we live— After we do them, just like God in Genesis, we can take a step back and say, that was good. That when we step back from our actions and we step back from the life that we're creating, we can look at it and say, this is good. And by doing good, by doing godly things as godly people, and by praying, we aren't just preparing for suffering and trials, we're preparing for the coming of the kingdom the eternal kingdom. We're preparing for judgment where sin is no more. While we're preparing for judgment, while we're doing good and while we're praying, we've got to be carefully considering our actions in our lives and asking ourselves, what role are you playing in judgment? Asking yourself, am I closing the door on people because of how I live? Am I casting judgment on someone else because of my actions or even my inactions? I don't mean are we casting judgment on someone like we are are looking at someone and we're making an assumption about who they are as a person, but I'm thinking about, there are people in our lives, real people, equally spiritual people, equally as spiritual as you and me, and have we decided the outcome of their relationship with God? We think about the people in our lives, maybe they're even in our own families, and we think, that person would never want me to pray for... If I talked to them about the Bible, they would... They would be so annoyed if I invited them to When we do that, when we make those judgments about someone, we are almost certainly bringing about judgment on them by closing the door on our chance to show them a relationship with God. This morning, don't be surprised, church, that if you're willing to open some doors that you have previously closed. People will start to respond. Because deep in every person is a longing for something greater. It's a longing to be known. It's a longing to be loved. It's a longing to be cared for, to be special, to be unique. And people will try to satisfy those cravings any way they can. Just look at any sinful lifestyle in this world, people are just trying to satisfy innate God-giving cravings that you and I have. And if we know Jesus, we know that he satisfies every one of those. And until they know Jesus, until they find out that Jesus has called them to something greater, and that Jesus has called them to be loved, and Jesus has called them to be cared for, and Jesus has created them to be unique. The odds that they'll find it themselves are rather slim. Don't be surprised if the people in your life are going to be more receptive to love and to goodness than you have previously done. We had a reading earlier from Thessalonians. It's not on the screen, but here it is again. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his mind again, if that doesn't make us just a little bit uncomfortable, then I think we might be missing something. The hope in 1 Thessalonians and in 1 Peter is that the readers of these declarations of judgment would long to know God through Jesus. But also that through Jesus every good work would be fulfilled in us. Not just in our own lives, but in the lives of people around us. Prayer is our most important resource as Christians because through prayer we're able to stir up a longing inside of us that we've had since our creation to be known and to know our Creator. And we need to be praying that we never lose our desire for prayer. We need to be praying that we would know how to pray. We would be praying that we would know what people in our lives need prayer. Not just for physical need. Yes, physical need. But also for spiritual need. People who, who need to know Jesus. This morning, if you do not have Jesus in your life, then your ability to commune with God is limited Jesus is life and the only way to the father is through Jesus in scripture there are a couple of instances where unrighteous people seem to communicate with God but I would not place my hope on being the exception if you need to be baptized we would love to study with you and help you make that happen also if you are a Christian I hope that you're ready for what's to come I hope that your prayers are ready for what's to come in your life. And I pray that God may make you and I worthy of his calling, that we may fulfill every resolve for good work and every work of faith by Jesus' power so that in the name of Jesus, God would be glorified in our lives. If you have any need, any request for prayer, we would love to pray with you and pray for you. If you have a need here, in person or on Facebook, you can make that in own right now or at any time in the week. One final question. Okay, it's a, it's a couple questions. Are you ready to keep praying even when life becomes challenging? Are you ready for what God will do through you when you open some doors that you had previously closed? Are you ready for how your Christian brothers and sisters will show you who God is through their lives? I pray that we are ready to do good in this world, not because doing good is how we earn salvation or anything like that, but because doing good is what God created us for. And that's what non-Christians need to see, even if they respond to it with persecution. If you have any need this morning, won't you make it known right now as we stand and sing?